So we are uh, continuing in our series, The Land Between Crossing with the Israelites from Egypt to the Promised Land as we move through uh, this season of Lent. Uh, and if you're just now joining us online, uh, we want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we're leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in His image. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. I'm going to remind you that uh, as we come into this section today, we're going to talk about melting down, meltdowns. I want to remind you a little of, of, of where we're at. You know, they, they've come out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've come into the desert, and, and I remind you, this is, this, is, this is the wilderness of sin. It's, this is what it looks like. And they've been complaining, you know, well, where, where are we going to get water, and what are we going to eat, and where are we going to get meat, and all. I mean, they've been complaining, and so this is the place they're in, and you can see... If you're here and you run out of food, you know, you know, there's no, as somebody said last week, there's no H-E-B, right? There's no corner market. I mean, you're, you're, you're there. And so this is the setting they're in uh, as, as we come to the story today, this kind of place where they are coming to Moses and they are lifting up their voice uh, in, in protest and in sorrow and in wailing uh, about the lack of food that Moses has brought them out here into this desert to experience. Let's pray. Oh Lord, uh, here we are, some of us this morning feel like we're in this wilderness, some of us feel like we're passed through it, but, but all of us know something about what it means to be in that place and in that time. So come and, and be present with us and lift us up and strengthen us and enlighten us uh, that we may hear what it is you would say to us this day. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, so here's the story uh, this morning when the, the people have been complaining. Uh, <clears throat> they've, they've received water and they've received manna, and then the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. And I love scripture. One of the things I love about these passages this morning, how honest they are about who we are and who God is. I mean, you hear, they're not just talking about this and discussing it. They're wailing. This is, you know, when, when your kids were little and you'd be on the trip and they, they'd get to a certain point and you kind of cross the line where they could stand it any longer. And you got the, oh, when are we going to stop? Oh, we're hungry. Oh, I've got to go to the bathroom. How much longer is it going to be? They're wailing at you in the back seat, right? Multiply that by like 100,000. You got that? Multiply that by like 100,000. This is what Moses is hearing. I mean, they're, they're wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Now, now manna, I'm going to remind you, the, it literally means, what is it? What is it? Now, we, now we don't have anything to eat. We never see anything but this whatever it is. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like rosin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or, or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in, in a pot and or made it into loaves, and, and it tasted like something made with oil, olive oil. You get that? It tastes like something made with olive oil, but we're not really sure what it is. And, and when the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family, every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. 
he asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I've found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, it is true and can be trusted. Uh, I want you to, this is, this is kind of Moses' uh, just shoot me now moment, right? You know, just shoot me now. I'm done. I've had it. I mean, you know, and, and I love the... I love how it kind of echoes a little bit. You hear the Adam and Eve story here. You know, why have you, God, brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put all the burden of all these people on me? I mean, did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? You know, why do you tell me to carry them in my arms you know, to the land you promised them? Now, you remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, you know, eat of the fruit of the tree and God comes looking for them. And Adam says, well, listen, God, you know, the woman that you gave me, she gave this to me. And then, and then Eve says, well, now, listen, God, you know, the servant, be, I mean, the serpent over here, he bewitched me. He fooled me. I mean, everybody's got to point a finger and blame somebody, right? And so here's Moses. He's kind of in that place, you know. Man, these, you made the promise to him. I didn't promise him anything. You made this promise. And now, you know, here I am having to deal with these people. And, and he's so frustrated and he's so worn down and he's so pressured he gets to that point, and he finally says, listen, if this is how it's going to be, please go ahead and kill me if I found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. Now, that's a pretty radical statement, but here's what I am almost willing to bet on, is that all of us are sitting here right at this moment saying, oh yeah, that reminds me of, right? Haven't we all had those kind of moments in life where we're, we're, we're kind of at that, you know, just shoot me now moment. You know, that's it. I'm done. I'm, that's it, God. That's all I can handle. I'm, uh, this is as far as I can go. You know, you either got to find somebody else or you got to take me home now. You know, right? We, we hit, hit those moments in life. And I, and I love that, that this story is so, you know, explicit about that. It lets us know, yeah, yeah, even, you know, Moses, this is Moses. Right? This is Moses, the giver of the law. Right? This is, this is God's man here. And, and he's reached that point. And he's going, that's it. You know, when, when we had the winter where we flooded in Seguin and uh, Cindy's grandmother died, and then two weeks later her mother died, and then a few months later her dad died, and I was running back and forth between Guadalupe County and San Antonio where they lived and going all this was going on and everything. And somebody asked me how I was going, doing, and I said, you know, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other every day. And I can remember at that time kind of praying something along the line of God, to God, really? Really? What else are you going to do? Really? I mean, you kind of hit that point, don't you? And you just think, I, I, I don't think I can take any more. I don't think I can handle any more, God. That's, that's it. And here, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we had the building project that time forgot when we built this building. It went on for like five years. Uh, and, and I just, you know, it was like we were never going to get through it. And it just one thing after another and, and working our way through that. And we got all through it and then we got into it. And then we had the general conference of 2019. 
And, and, and we in this church have always known that we were not all of one mind on a lot of topics and that you know, politically we covered a lot of ground. But after 2019, all of a sudden we forgot because before that we'd always been able to deal with our differences and then on the backside of it, all of a sudden it got very contentious and very divisive and it began to tear. And I thought, here we go, we built this whole building and now we're going to tear ourselves apart? God, really? Is that really, what, I, mean, I mean, is that really what we have to do? And, and then God said, well, wait a minute. I'm going to send a pandemic. Yeah. You think you've had enough? I'm going to send you this pandemic. And then, and then in the middle of that pandemic, you know, in the, in the middle of that, I'm going, to, I'm going to raise up the reality of the racial issues in your country so much that people are rioting in the streets. Oh, boy, thank you so much, God. And, and, and then in the middle of that, you know, as I'm going through that, you know, we, we had people that began to die. And we couldn't, we couldn't gather around them. I mean, their families couldn't go to the hospital to be with them. They weren't allowed in. And, and when they died, we couldn't gather around and, and, and come up beside of them like we normally do and support them. And, and in the middle of that, I'm just kind of going, geez, God, please give me a break here. Give, give us a break here. And, and then I started thinking about the families and what they were going through and how hard that was for them to know that their loved one is in the hospital dying, but they, they couldn't go be with them. I thought, yeah, yeah, just, just shoot me now, you know. We're up against that point where it just feels like this is just too much. It's just too much. You been there? Have you felt that? Have you ever been at that point? And what do you do with that? I love it that, that Moses, <laughs> Moses doesn't run away from God, does he? He doesn't say, oh God, I know I, know I shouldn't feel this way, so I'm not going to talk to you about it. He, he gets all up in God's face, right? You know, if this is the way you're going to treat me, God, you know, just go ahead and kill me now. I mean, if this is what you're going to do to me. I mean, he, he takes that right directly to God. Too often when we are in these places in life where we're feeling overwhelmed I'm like, boy, I just can't handle anything else. There's just, you know, I can't, I mean, this is just too much. Too often we don't feel like we can go to God with that because we have this idea that, you know, if I was really tight with God, if I was really close with God, you know, life would be great. Everything would be fine. And even if life was difficult, if I was really close with God, I'd have that peace that passes all understanding and I'd just be able to walk through that without any problem. I want you to hear something. Moses couldn't do it. And Moses couldn't do it, you can't do it. Matter of fact, if you, if you go in Scripture and you think about the prophets, you know, here you have Moses, but think about the prophets. Here, here's Jeremiah, right? Cursed be the day that I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May you hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and end my days in shame? You know, it, it, it's kind of an extreme version of the I wish I had never been born statement that we sometimes get into. I mean, and, and Jeremiah doesn't, you know... <clears throat> keep this to himself he he's lifting this up to God listen God I want to tell you about this and, and, and then we have our good friend Elijah 
Now, Elijah has been in this contest with the prophets of Baal. You've got to remember the setting. He's, he's been in this contest with them to see who really has God's ear. And, and, and they both build these great big bonfires, huge bonfires. And the prophets of Baal soak theirs down with all kinds of flammable oils and everything. And, and, and Elijah soaks his down with buckets of water. And then the contest is whose fire is going to light. And, and the prophets of Baal bring their torches and all this. And even with all the fuel on it that they put on there, their fire won't light. Elijah goes and stands by the soaking wet mound of wood and he prays and the flame comes down from heaven and consumes it. It's this amazing victory. And, and, and then right after that, somebody goes to Queen Jezebel and tells her what's happened. Do you know that he did this and, and then they, they killed all your prophets? Do you know that's what it is? And Jezebel decides she's going to have Elijah killed and sends word to him. You know? And so she sends word to Elijah. Let me get to him. Uh, and Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, you might think that after that great victory, he would say, bring it on, Jezebel, right? But he doesn't. Because like us, his fear overwhelms him. He's afraid, and he runs for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush sat down under and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And you hear? I mean, even if that amazing victory, the fear overwhelms him, and he, he just craters. I mean, Jeremiah, Elijah, the greatest of all prophets, I mean, these, these men of God who are so close to God get in this place of desperation and they have this, this meltdown. So if you're thinking that, you know, oh, I should not do that, I want you to hear that, that even Moses does this, Elijah does this, Jeremiah does this, King David writes in the Psalms, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. And we're sometimes talking about, you know, I've, I've had it up to here, right? I've had it up to here. You know, the water's coming up around me. I'm going to drown. Or he writes, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Right? Get me out of here. Just get me out of here. Now, the, the modern version of, of this from David, if you listen to the radio much, you know, these are all the, the Jimmy Buffett songs about going down to the beach in the Caribbean and sitting on the beach, right? Zach Brown, those guys, right? I mean, it's, get me out of here. I'm done. The amazing thing is that these guys are not shy about going to God with that. They don't feel like they can't tell God about it. They don't feel like they're, they're bad people because they feel that way. They don't try to hide that, but they take that to God. How often do I have people say, well, this is going on or that's going on, or I feel awful, you know, I, I, or I'm in a bad way, and all, oh, but, you know, I, <clears throat> you know, I, I, you know I, I don't want God to think, you know, that I don't trust him. I don't think I should take, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, take something to God that's going to hurt God's feelings or whatever. And, and I'm saying, no, 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 no. You, you take that to God. You tell God how you feel about it. You tell God exactly how you feel about it. It's okay. God can handle it. God is big enough he can handle it. You cannot present him with something that is too much. Whatever it is, take it to God and tell him. I mean, 
Think about some of the other passages in Scripture, like Jesus, when he says, you know, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, hey, you know, if you're in a bad way, I'll, okay, I'll listen to you. He's inviting it. Come, bring it. Come on. Bring your burdens to me. Bring those things that are weighing you down. Bring your overwhelmed feelings. Bring it to me. And I'll take that off of you. I'll take that off of you. Bring that to me. Peter um, says, you know, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And this is one of my favorite passages because, you know, we, we have a, a fine tradition of anxiety in our family. I don't know if you do, but, but we do. And so, you know, that kind of thing where you're, you're, it's two or three in the morning and you can, you're just wound around the axle about something and you can't get done with it. You keep going around and around and around with it. And, and, and Peter says, listen, when you get there, you know, you don't have to deal with that on your own. Bring that and, and throw that on God. Give that to Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to let him take that away from you, to let him carry that for you. God invites you to come and bring all of that overwhelmed anxiety to him. And listen, here's Elijah again. He's laid down to die out there in the wilderness. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Even in that place where he's given up and he's gone out into the desert to die, God sends a messenger, an angel, to, to nourish him. And, and you notice he, he, he doesn't leave him alone. I mean, he, he eats and then he goes, lays back under the bush and the angel goes, no, 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 no. Yep. You, you can't do this on your own. The journey is too much for you. But I've brought you something to sustain you until you stand in the presence of God again. And this is, this is God's compassion. I mean, when we, we come and, we, and we're overwhelmed and we're just chewed up and, and we just feel like we can't do this any longer, you know, God comes in compassion and God sustains us and God nourishes us in heart and spirit and, and gives us the strength we need to continue the journey. All you have to do is, is take that to God. Don't withhold it, but, but take it to Him. He can handle it. In fact, He... He invites you, come to me, and then God strengthens you. When we um, get here toward the end of the Lenten season on Good Friday, and we're reading the words of, of Christ at the cross, we'll have that, you know, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me passage that we read. And, and, and people forget sometimes that, that as Jesus is saying that in his mind, in his heart, in his spirit, he knows the whole of that psalm that that comes from because he is the word. So, so I want you to hear the first part of the psalm and the last part of the psalm and, and listen. This is all contained within one psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of anguish, my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. 
Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And you can just hear how that, that fits perfectly with the agony that he's going through. And, and, and if that was the end of the psalm, it, it would be a sad story indeed. But I want you to hear how the psalm continues and how it comes to an ending. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. I mean, this magnificent hymn of praise at the end of what starts off as this horrific hymn of suffering. The understanding that, you know, you, we suffer with Christ nor that we might be raised with Christ, that the crucifixion leads to the resurrection. I mean, this song where, where Jesus lifts up and cries out, and yet at the same time, there's this magnificent act of praise. Because the people of God understand that you know, even in the midst of the most difficult time, God is with us. That God wants us to bring all that weighs on us to him. That God wants us to cast our anxiety upon him. That God wants us to bring that to him. And that when we do that, when we bring that to him honestly, God hears it. I mean, that's, that's part of the definition of a, a, a powerful relationship, isn't it? When, when you can be honest with someone. I mean, whether it's parent to child or friend to friend or husband to wife. When, when we're able to be just completely honest with one another about how we feel about things. That's when we discover the power and the love in that relationship. And so God invites us. Whatever you have been wrestling with, whatever you have walked through in the midst of this crazy pandemic, whatever suffering has sat upon you, God says, bring, bring, come to me, come to me. Let me have that. I will give you rest. I will strengthen you. I will sustain you. And my praise will be sung by those who are not even born yet. I want to close with a prayer from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
a prayer that comes out of the concentration camps of World War II. And so I, I invite you at home and in the room, if you'll just close your eyes and, and bow your heads, if that's your fashion, and, and hear and pray this in your spirit with me. Well, God, early in the morning, I cry to you. Help me to pray and to concentrate my thoughts on you. I cannot do this alone. In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Restore me to liberty and enable me to live now that I may answer before you and before men. Lord, whatever this day may bring, your name be praised. Amen.